International Leadership Summit 2012. Regaining Your Edge, Cutting Edge Leadership. Presented and hosted by Comeback Ministries International and Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center. This year's conference features nine dynamic teaching sessions. We invite you to listen to the first session, The Antioch Model, Local Church with Global Impact by Pastor Larry Crawford of Comeback Ministries International in Lincoln, Illinois. As you're getting that sheet, I want to share a scripture. It's on that sheet. It's out of Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27 verse 23 says this, and this is a word to leaders, and I really feel like we are in a crucial hour. Anytime someone's in leadership, it's important, it's crucial, but these days and this hour that we're living in right now, uh, it's important, it's imperative for men and women of God to rise up and to be the leaders that God's called us to be. Uh, we've got a nation that's gone adrift from God. We've got a nation that needs to come back to God. Uh, the answer is not going to be uh, on election day, although we need to pray and we need to vote according to how we feel the Lord leading us to vote, but the answer is going to be what happens in the house of God. The house of God is what's going to shake the nation. When the house of God gets in order, then the nation can get in order. It's not going to start with the White House. It's going to start with the house of God. Amen. In Proverbs uh, chapter 27, verse 23, it says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Now, I want you to understand something about America. I've, I've different studies. The, the, the church intrigues me. I, I love the church, and I know that the church is Jesus' only plan. There's no plan B. He's building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the church in America, if you look at different studies, you'll see anywhere from two-thirds to 80% of churches in America are plateau or are declining. There are 3,500 churches that close their doors for good every year. Now, that's not the Lord's plan. God's plan is for His church to grow, to increase, and to grow and to reach the world. I want to share a, a, a quote from Dr. Joe Ellis. He wrote in his book, The Church on Target. He said, I see churches and people falling into two categories. Some are aggressive. Others are passive. Some have direction. Some are directionless. Some are moving and some just exist. Great churches and great people take God's purposes seriously. They take the commission to heart. They believe that God intends to do not just good things, but great things as He fulfills His purposes through people. How many can say amen to that? You see, the church has for so long been subnormal that if it ever becomes normal, some of us will think that it's abnormal. I hear it all the time. Well, we're not concerned about quantity we're concerned about quality now when we make that statement if we'll be honest with ourselves we're concerned about quantity and not quality when we make that statement most of the time we're given excuse for why the church is not growing and doing what it needs to do you see it's not quantity versus quality it's quantity plus quality equals the plan of God God wants the church to grow not to plateau, not to decline. He wants it to grow, but he also is concerned that it grows in excellence and that it follows the Word of God. You see, we don't have to compromise in order for the church to grow. we got churches all across America that are preaching a gospel that is different than this gospel. Anything other than this gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. There is only one way to salvation. It's through Jesus Christ, and there's no other way. And you want to know what the fastest-growing religion cult there is in the United States of America? It's Islam. And church, we got to wake up. 
We got to wake up and quit saying things that are politically correct. You see, we got to quit being politically correct. We got to start being biblically accurate. There's a difference between being politically correct and biblically accurate. We need to be biblically correct. That's what's going to save people, and that's what's going to change the world. You see, numbers matter to God, and they better, better matter to you and me because numbers represent people. Today we're going to take a look at a church that took the Great Commission seriously. They had both quantity and quality. I ask if you would to turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. Acts 17, we're going to look at a church called Antioch. I believe Antioch is a model for the way the church ought to be. I believe it was a local church that had global impact, and we can see that from the Word of God. In Acts 17, 6, this is later on after Paul has been out into the mission field, uh, after he left Antioch and went out for the mission trips. And I love this scripture because this is what God's looking for today. Acts 17, 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Come on, somebody. These who have turned the world upside down, they've come to our city. Wouldn't that be something? If word got out on the street that those people that have turned the world upside down have come to Bremen, Georgia, that they've come to Carrollton, that they've come to Temple, that they've come to Villarica, that they've come to Buchanan, that they've come to West Georgia, they've come to Atlanta. These people who have literally turned the world upside down have come into our city, and the city things are shaken, and things are about to change for the glory of God. Amen? You see, that's what we need in America today. We need a Holy Ghost revival. We need where the Word of God's preached without apology, without compromise, and the Holy Spirit's invited to come in and do what He wants to do, build the church. Let me tell you something, though. You know what it took for this church to get to that point? It just didn't happen. They just didn't get together one day and all of a sudden have a meeting. As a matter of fact, if you read back in Acts chapter 1, you read in all the Gospels, you read the Great Commission, you'll find out that Jesus' plan from the beginning was what? The Great Commission, right? You go Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, let me tell you something. The church started off with a bang. Thousands of people getting saved again and again. People coming to Christ. All Just amazing what happened as the Spirit of God was poured out. But let me tell you, they began to minister in Jerusalem, and they might have got a little bit out of Jerusalem into Judea, but it wasn't until Acts 8 that we read about verse 1. Now, Saul was consenting uh, to his death, talking about Stephen, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. How many know if we don't get out and do what God's called us to do, God's got a way of turning events around to get us out to do what God's called us to do? Can somebody say amen to that? And that was the reason the church in Antioch started. You say, well, how do you know that? If you go back to Acts chapter 11, and you read there in verse 19 and 20, it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, what we just read about, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So how did the church at Antioch get planted? It got planted because there was a persecution that broke out in Jerusalem that scattered everybody out except the apostles. And they went. Philip went to Samaria and had a Holy Ghost revival. People getting saved, people getting healed. The whole city received great joy. And then these other brothers were sent out and they went as far as Antioch, preaching the gospel first to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well. As well. And then revival began to break out because of the persecution. My question to us men and women of God is this, what's it going to take for revival to break out in America? Do we got to get to a place of great persecution? Because we're heading that way. 
Hey, listen, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Get over that. You're a child of God first and foremost, and you better vote according to your convictions of what the Word of God says. You better seek God, and you better vote and do your duty as a Christian, but you better not worry about if it's Democrat or Republican. You better seek God. And I want to tell you something. I'm not here to, to push you one way or the other, but what I see is what we got going on in the political realm doesn't look good no matter which way you go. If you want to get real... If you want to line it up with the Bible, I don't see anything out there. I'm just, just being honest with you, amen. We better get it right in the church house so we can change what happens in the White House and in the government buildings all over this nation, amen. The church at Antioch came together because persecution broke out. In Acts eleven twenty one, we see there that it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news, this is Acts 11, verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he had come and they had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he was encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so that it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I want to share with you seven principles that I believe are key as the church of Antioch is a model of a local church with global impact. See, we've got several churches represented here, and that's exciting because we need to put down the walls and realize we're on the same team. If we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're on the same team, amen? And we need to labor together. We're not competing against one another. We are out together to reach this city, this region, this state, and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. we got to get it together arm in arm and quit looking at the brother and sister over here as an enemy. When they're a brother or sister in Christ, Jesus prayed that we would be one so that the world would be one to Jesus Christ. And so we need to get to the altar of God, men and women of God. We need to get to the altar and repent of our selfish wicked ways and hook up with our brothers and sisters in christ and let's take this region for the kingdom of god amen the church at antioch they understood that there's several things there first of all number one the church at antioch the hand of the lord was upon them they were in the will of god you see they had supernatural empowering to do what god had called them to do i want to tell you something about the will of god you can be in the permissive the general will of god or you can be in the perfect specific will of god God's got a very specific will for your life. The Bible talks about in Acts that we were, we were born at certain times in certain places by the divine hand of God. It's the will of God that we are where we are. Now listen, we need to seek God to find out where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there, and what we're supposed to be doing while we're there. You can be in the permissive will of God, and you're saved, and you're going to heaven, and you're telling people about Jesus, and you can even win people to Christ. You can have some effectiveness to your ministry, but you can get into the perfect will of God and you can see the hand of the Lord upon you and you can see amazing things happen for the kingdom of God. Fruit that will last, fruit that will multiply. Have you noticed when you read the book of Acts, the church keeps growing? When, they, when, when things are tough, they grow. When they get scattered, they grow. When they threaten to kill them, they preach the gospel and they grow. No matter what you did to that church in Acts, it grew both in quality and quantity which is what we're to grow in today as the body of Christ. The hand of the Lord was upon them. You know, going back through Scripture, that's, that's a good study in and of itself to go back and study what happened every time the hand of the Lord was upon somebody. I'm just going to mention a couple for sake of time, just a couple references. 1 Kings 18.46 says the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and it empowered him to outrun Ahab, who was in a chariot. Elijah was on foot. He outran him 25 miles 
In other words, he almost marathons 26.2. Elijah was on foot by the Spirit of God because the hand of God was upon him, and he was able to outrun Ahab in a chariot 25 miles. See the difference between the hand of God being upon you and the hand of God being not upon you or perhaps even like in Ahab's case, against you? It's spoken of Ezra. The hand of the Lord was upon him when they were going back and they were rebuilding. In Ezekiel uh, 37, uh, God brings Ezekiel in this vision and brings him into the valley of dry bones. And it says the hand of the Lord was upon him. How many remember what happened when he came into that valley? There's a valley of dry bones. It reminds me of the condition of our nation today. Bones that are brittle, people's lives that are shattered. All hope was gone. That talks about their hope was gone. And he comes into this valley with the hand of the Lord upon him, and God speaks to him and says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, in the natural, you know, Ezekiel in the natural is looking at those bones that are dry and busted, and in the natural, he's thinking, there's just absolutely no way. But he speaks by faith and says, God, only you know if these bones can live. And you know what he says to him? He said, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to speak the word of the Lord to these bones. I want you to prophesy to these bones to rise up. And, and he, now, if he went by what he saw, he'd have never done it. But he went by command with the hand of God upon him, and he prophesied to the bones. And how many know there was a shaking going on in the valley? How many know bone went with bone, and the bones began to get together? And all of a sudden, you had a whole army of dry bones that were now connected. And then he says, you go to those bones, you go to those bones, and you breathe on them the Spirit of God. You breathe on them the Spirit of God. And he breathed on them the Spirit of God. And you know what he said it is? He said, this is a vast army. A vast army. Do you see the two things there? When the hand of the Lord is upon you, what did he do? He spoke the word of God. He didn't compromise. He didn't go by what he saw. He didn't go by what everybody else would have said. He prophesied the word of God, and he spoke and breathed the breath of the Holy Spirit. We need the word of God, and we need the Spirit of God working together to make revival take place in America. It won't happen any other way. See, that church had the hand of the Lord upon him. Another thing that, that Barnabas noticed when he came to town, he says, the grace of the Lord was evident. Number two, the grace of the Lord was evident. How do you see the grace of God? Let me tell you how you see the grace of God. You see grown men and women coming to salvation in Christ. You see men and women coming to the altar weeping, asking that they could be saved. You see men and women being set free from drugs, being set free from sin that had kept them in bondage. You see people literally coming and not just talking about getting set free, but getting set free by the power of God. And then you look and say, now that's the grace of God. Because I know what they were before. I know what they used to do. And I see a change. This isn't a fad. This is a transformation by the power of the living God. Amen. That's when you say, whoo, glory to God. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. Amen. When what we consider the worst sinners in town start running to the altar to get saved and they change their ways and give their heart to God, we can say we see the grace of God. And they saw the grace. You know how else you can see the grace of God when you come to that city of Antioch? Jew and Gentile were sitting together at the same table, eating together, praying together, praising together. It didn't matter what color you was. It didn't matter what nation you came from. It didn't matter how much money you had or you didn't have. We're together in Christ. We're redeemed in God. We serve the same Jesus. And man, they loved each other you know jesus said by this will all men know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another and that church at antioch had it together later on we see in galatians 2 11 and 12 
that Peter, when some of the other Jewish brothers come, he decided to slide over with the Jewish boys and had to get reprimanded by the Apostle Paul. But that church was known. They had broke down every barrier. There was no racial, religious, or cultural barriers in their day. Everything was torn down. They served Jesus Christ and Him alone. Reminds me of a story that someone sent me years ago about a lady that was a prostitute that came into the church and got saved. The church was all excited. This lady that was a prostitute got saved, set free, forgiven. But all of a sudden, that lady that got saved that used to be a prostitute all of a sudden had an eye for the preacher's son. The preacher's son had an eye for her. Church got so upset about it, they called a board meeting. I'll tell you something, we do some goofy stuff in the church. In the name of God. God's looking down saying, that's not me. They get together and they get in this argument. You know, man, this woman's, thank God, you know, she got saved. Thank God she got set free, but she's not good enough for the preacher's son. And they went through this whole meeting. Finally, the pastor's son stood up and he said, listen. He said, let me tell you something. He said, what's on trial today is not my fiance, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Either his blood does cleanse us from our sins or it does not. And he sat down. I'm going to tell you something. Either we believe the blood of Jesus sets free people free or we don't. That might have been what they were. Remember what you were. That might have been what they were, but look what God's done. They were that, but He set them free. Amen. Remember what you were and what Jesus did when He reached out and by His blood you were forgiven. You see, the grace of God was evident. You could see it there. The third thing was the church of Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians there. They were first called Christians. First time it's recorded. They were called Christians. You know what they were saying? These people in Antioch, they remind us a whole lot of this fellow named Jesus Christ that walked on the earth. I mean, they're acting like that Jesus guy. I mean, they're loving people that hate them. You can get mad at them and they're going to bless you. You can say bad things about them and they're going to love you. You can do all this and they're just going to keep reaching out to you. You know, these, these, this church in Antioch, they acted an awful lot like Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're just going to call them Christians, little Christ. How I many know oh, that'd be a great compliment for the church today? They got a name for us today in America. It's not Christians, it's called hypocrites. Come on, somebody. I can't go into the church because it's full of hypocrites. I say, Amen. You better believe it is. I hope they get saved. Amen. Best place for a hypocrite's in the house of God. All of us have had hypocrisy in our life in the past, if we'll be honest about it. Amen. But they were first called Christians. Much different than the church at Corinth where there were divisions among them. Some said, I follow Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas, which was Peter. And then you had the spiritual ones that came in and said, I know you guys are following them, but we follow Christ. Paul said, there should be no divisions among you. Amen. If you're following a man, you're going to be greatly disappointed. God uses men and women of God to lead us to Christ, to bring us, to teach us. God's given the church ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, elders, and deacons, and servants of God that come in and teach the Word of God. But our eyes better not be fixed on them. It better be fixed on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And when that happens, they'll call us Christians. Number four, the church at Antioch was all about team ministry. They were about team ministry, relationships, team ministry, relationships. There, on your outline there, there are four types of church government. I shared this last year at the conference, so some of you, this will be a repeat. You've heard that when I shared about the sevenfold servanthood of Christ. We do have that on CD too if you didn't, weren't able to get that last year. I'd like to get more about that. But there are four types of government in the church. There's the one-man show or a one-woman show, however you want to say it. But that's the person that does everything, everybody looks to. 
There's the congregational democracy. I want to tell you something. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say that we're supposed to vote on things like churches do today. We got churches splitting over the color of the paint on the wall and whether to put carpet or a wood floor in. Man, just find somebody in the church that knows how to do that kind of stuff and let them go with it. Amen? I got a lady in our church where we're doing the sanctuary. I said, just whatever color you think it ought to be, just paint it. I don't, just, I don't even care. You just, whatever it is, you paint it. You know what you're doing. You know, because you get two people involved, and you're going to have a disagreement. You might split the church. But team ministry, relationships. Uh, there's the third one's the board of elders and deacons. And they think they're the, the, the big guns. If the pastor's out of line, if you don't straighten up, we'll fire you. I, I grew up in a church where they said, man, you're making 30 calls. We want you to make 40 calls. If you don't make 40 calls, you're done. I heard an elder tell a minister one time, if you don't, if you don't resign and we don't get you this time, we'll get you the next time. We're going to get you no matter what. I heard him say that. Guy used to be my Sunday school teacher, man of God. I went to him afterwards and I said, you know what? I've always respected you, but I can't believe the way you just spoke to the man of God. That's not God. And then there's number four, team ministry. It's relationships, and that's what the Bible teaches. Yeah, God raises up a man or a woman and gives them a vision for a church, and they're the lead person. They're the lead brother or lead sister. But let me tell you, we can't do it by ourselves. We need a team around us. We need apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, elders, and deacons working together. See, it's a plural ministry with singular authority. The more pillars there are in the local church, the stronger the local church will be. You got the thing of their team, the acrostic, together everyone accomplishes more. God uses imperfect people to perfect imperfect people, and that way God gets all the glory. See, God uses imperfect people, that would be you and me, amen? To perfect imperfect people, that would be you and me, and then God gets all the glory, amen? Number five, the church at Antioch was a local church with global vision. I'd mentioned Acts 1.8, they were to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when Antioch got started, they weren't just concerned about their city. They weren't just concerned about reaching their city. But out of, the, out of Antioch, there were three missionary journeys, actually four missionary journeys, when you count the split between Barnabas and Paul. There were four missionary journeys that came out of the church at Antioch, four missionary journeys and listen the church in antioch was so used of god they reached all of their known world through those missionary journeys how many want to be a local church with global impact you know wherever your church is located if it's located in bremen god didn't call you just to to reach bremen he's called you to reach all of georgia he's called you to reach all of the united states He's called you to reach all the world. You know, this is the starting point. This is Jerusalem. But we got Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth to be thinking about. And you know the amazing thing about it is we can begin to reach all of them at the same time. Amen. Church at Antioch was a local church with global vision. They were planting new churches. They were strengthening existing churches. And they were reaching the lost all at the same time. They didn't say, well, we're called to evangelism. Or we're called to discipleship. Or we're called to plant churches. Or we're called to help existing churches. You know what they said? We're called to all that. All of it. Why? Because we got global vision. Number six, the church at Antioch was spirit-filled and spirit-led. Spirit-filled and spirit-led. If you notice in Acts 11, verse 27, it says this, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. 
Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, if you go back and study history, Claudius Caesar was the Roman emperor from A.D. 41 to 54. The Jewish historian Josephus records that a famine occurred in A.D. 46, just like Agabus prophesied before it happened. Now, let me tell you, they were spirit-filled and spirit-led. You know why? Because a prophet of God came to town. I'm not talking about a false prophet. We, we got a lot of those. Self-proclaimed, self-appointed. Notice I didn't say anointed. Self-appointed, self-proclaimed apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We got a whole lot of elders, deacons in the church. We got all kinds of people that have been appointed by themselves instead of appointed by God. And that's part of our problem. But they were spirit-filled and spirit-led. Imagine this. The prophet Agabus comes to town and he says, Man, I want to tell you something. I got a, I got a vision. I've got a word. There's going to be this, this, this famine that's going to happen in, the city, in this city. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen uh, pretty soon. And we need to get ready for it. You know what the church did? They said, Hey, man, let's get some of this Gatorade. Let's get some of these supplies. Let's get it all together. Let's see what we can do. And let's go ahead and send it there before the famine hits. Now, wouldn't that be something? On the way down here, I drove through southern Indiana, and I drove through Henryville and around Fredericksburg and areas where I grew up in southern Indiana. That just You saw it on the news several weeks, a month ago. They got just laid out by the tornadoes. I drove through there, and I started to think about this. I'm driving through. What if we knew by the Spirit of God this was coming? How many know God knew it was coming? I mean, many, many lives were protected, but I wonder who else could have been saved. But even more, what if we could have already been there ready, knowing that, that this is going to happen? We've got the supplies. We're ready. Here we go, man. Let's minister in the name of Jesus. You talk about powerful. <laughs> that, church, that church at Antioch, man, they're sending us food. They say there's going to be a famine. I don't understand. Everything looks fine. Boom. How I many know when the famine hit, they were saying, man, that church at Antioch, they're listening to God. They know what God's saying. God's talking to them. How I many know they just got a whole new influence and impact not only locally but globally why because you go to that church you're going to hear the spirit of god amen in acts 13 2 b and and, and uh, verse 4 there i want you to notice it says there that the holy spirit said they were as they were ministering to the lord the holy spirit said set apart barnabas and saul for the work to which i've called them and notice verse 4 so being sent out by the holy spirit they went down to seleucia and from there they sailed to cyprus Notice, they were they, the Holy Spirit, they're, they're worshiping God. They're having a service just like we were doing a while ago. Praising and worshiping God. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, set apart Saul and Barnabas. Now, that's two of the, that's two of the big boys. That's two of the leaders. That's, that's some heavyweights. Amen? <laughs> Can't we send somebody else? We like them. We want to keep them. They didn't say that. Holy Spirit says, set them apart. You know what they did? They got together and they said, you know what? This is God. They prayed and they fasted. They laid hands on them and they sent them out by the Holy Spirit. And because they did that, they turned their world upside down. Because they did that, four missionary journeys came out of the church at Antioch that literally transformed the world they live in. Local church with global impact because they were spirit-filled and spirit-led. Sometimes the Holy Spirit stops us. You can read Acts 16, 6 through 10 later. There were two different cities that Paul wanted to go into and the Holy Spirit stopped him. You'd be like, come on, come on, Holy Spirit, I'm going to preach the word. You're not going in this city, man. You know what happened, though? Right after that, he had a vision of the man of Macedonia. 
And the Bible says as soon as he got the vision, he woke everybody up and they left and they went there and they preached the gospel. And if you study history, you know that they included the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and many other cities where churches were planted because he got the vision. Why? Because the Spirit said, you don't go here. The Spirit stopped him from going here. He, the Spirit said, it's time for you to wait. You're going to get a vision. The vision of God comes. He gets the vision and he goes. And because of that, we have part of the New Testament. Do you see what happened there? We've got to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Being Spirit-filled, baptizing the Spirit is not a one-time thing. It needs to be an everyday throughout the day. Continually, Ephesians 5.18, continually be filled with the Spirit of God. Number seven, the church at Antioch was a sending and supporting church. Sending and supporting church. In, in verse 3, it says, Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. They didn't know who was going to fill their shoes. I mean, Barnabas and Saul... I mean, Barnabas is scheduled to preach Sunday, and Saul's preaching the next week, and, and Saul's leading this ministry. And Bar I mean, we can't send them out right now. they got things they're committed to already. Who's going to fill their shoes? They didn't ask that. They said, you know what? God said, we're going to be a sending church, and we're going to be a supporting church. There are a lot of people that leave the church today, and some of them, listen to me, some of them feel called by God to go somewhere and do some mission work. And when they go to the pastor and tell them that, sometimes the pastor or the leader says, you know what, you're here, you're mine, you stay here, this is the will of God. Never seeking God. Because it might just be the will of God to send them out under the covering of the church that they can go forth and preach the gospel. Amen? Now, there are other people that are like that that are not by God. So we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. I understand that. But we need to be a sending church and a supporting church. You know what? Saul, Barnabas, we're going to send you out. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to send you out. You report back to us. If there's anything you need at all, we're here, man. We'll pray for you. We'll, we'll, we'll give you financial support. Whatever it is, we're here. There's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to leave a church. And most people leave the wrong way. If God's called you out, then do it the right way. Get with the leadership and let them bless you and let them send you out. Amen. There are a lot of people who weren't sent, they just went. In Acts 14, 26-28, after the first missionary journey, this is on your notes there, they came back to Antioch and they reported all that God had done with them and how that God had opened the door for them. So in other words, they go on their first missionary journey, they come back and they say, hey man, this is what happened. We want you to know this is what God did. The, People got saved. These people got set free. I mean, churches were planted. We were able to bless the brothers and sisters over here. I mean, they came back with a report. You talk about igniting a local church. And, and you know what? When they came back, Saul and Barnabas, they came back and they said, you sent us. You are much a part of as we are. We were just the ones physically there, but you were spiritually with us. You were financially with us. You were with us in heart and mind. You were there, and together this is what God did. And then Acts 15, 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching uh, the Word of God. And then it says, notice, with many others also. So it wasn't just about a one-man show, a two-man show. It was about a team ministry. Acts 15, 36 through 41, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement, such a sharp disagreement about John Mark, who was a cousin of Barnabas, he, they had taken him before on a mission trip. You know the story. For some reason, John Mark went home. We think maybe he got homesick. We don't know what happened. Maybe he got difficult. I don't know why he went home, but he went home. They were getting ready to go out again. And Barnabas said, let's take Mark. Let's take John Mark. And Paul said, we're not taking him, man. He deserted us. We can't count on him. We're not taking him. And they got into it. Let me tell you, the church at Antioch, listen, the church at Antioch, 
Think of how many people have gotten into it in a church, and usually what does it do? It splits the church, or somebody leaves mad, and, and, and the worst thing that happens with even all that is that the work of God ceases. The ministry stops. You know what happened with, with Paul and Barnabas? They got into it and said, man, I don't think we ought to take him. I think we ought to take him. I'm not taking him. I am taking him. We got a problem here, dude. If you're going to take him, then you take him and go somewhere else. I'm taking somebody else that I can count on, and I'm going this way. And you know what came out of that little problem that shuts a sharp disagreement? Instead of one missionary journey, two missionary journeys came out. Wouldn't it be amazing if we as a church, when we did get into it, and when we couldn't agree on something, that it multiplied for the kingdom instead of dividing the kingdom of God? That's the church at Antioch. See, Paul and Silas went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas and Mark sailed to Cyprus. So even in disagreement, they multiplied. And then in Acts 18, 18 through 23, notice Paul came back to Antioch again, spent some time there. Then he was off again in order to strengthen the disciples, which was missionary journey number three for him, fourth missionary journey that came out of the church. Now, final thing. Key to church growth and success in ministry is ministering to the Lord. Authentic worship. I want you to see the key of everything that came out of the church at Antioch. Because this is what we don't hear about today in the church in America, or really even in the church around the world. It says, as they ministered to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord. What did most of the time people come to church for? I need to get ministered to. I need a touch from heaven. I need a word. For, if I don't get a word from the Lord today, it's not going to be good. Right? I'm done. Either God speaks or it's over. Right? And they come to church. We come to church with the attitude of, we're going to get ministered to today. Pastor Moulton's going to preach the word, and I'm going to receive it, and it's going to be good, and I'm going to get ministered to, and that's why I'm there. How many know it's good to be hungry for the word of God? It's good to love to hear Pastor Moulton's preaching. It's good to expect, because you will be ministered to. But let me tell you this, our attitude in going to the house of God needs to not be what we can get from the house of God, but what we can bless the Lord with. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, all that is within me. I rejoice with those who said unto me, let us Go to the house of the Lord. One thing I seek, this that I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze on the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. You see, it's not about what we can get at church. It's about what we can bless the Lord, how we can minister to the Lord. Come on, somebody. I mean, no, when we bless the Lord and we minister to the Lord, there's an overflow that comes out of heaven. The floodgates of heaven poured out on us and so much blessing that we just can't take it all. Instead of leaving church saying, oh, I got a word, I got, I'm doing a little bit better. Amen. Amen. When we minister to the Lord, we leave church and we're gushing. We are gushing with the love of Christ. We're gushing with the word of God. We go out to the restaurant to eat, man, and it's just, it, just, it just gets on the waiter and the waitress. It just gets on the rest of the folks there. Oh, whoo, glory to God. Where you been? I've been in the presence of the Almighty. I've been ministering to the Lord, and the Lord blessed me, and I want to bless you. Can I lay hands on you, man? I mean, come on, somebody, amen? That's the difference between going to church and having church. That's the difference between having the Spirit and the Spirit having us. Amen? You see, the key to church growth, quality and quantity, success in ministry, 
is ministering to the Lord. Authentic worship. Authentic worship calls us to commitment and active response. Worship, and also, by the way, worship preceded the Great Commission. When they met Jesus in that mountain on Galilee, the Bible says they worshiped him. And then he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Amen. Worship. We just need to get caught up in the presence of the Lord. We just need to bless the Lord. I know things are tough, man. I know I'm going through a difficult season. I don't understand. But God, I want to bless you. I don't understand all the things, but I'm just going to be still and know that you're God. I just know that the Word says I've never seen the righteous forsaken of their children begging for bread. I want to thank you, God. I want to thank you for the provision before it ever comes. I want to thank you for what you've done for me. I want to bless you, God. I want to love on you, Jesus. I just want to be in your presence, Lord. Nothing else matters. I just want to meet with you. Amen. And then out of that, out of that will flow. There was a couple who went to Africa to the mission field they were going into an area that was considered a very difficult area as a matter of fact no one went in and preached the gospel came out alive but this man and his wife and their their child they felt like God called them. he said man God's called us he came to the church and you know what he said he said we'll go God's called us we're going to go because he's called us but we need you to hold the rope we need you as a church to promise you're going to pray for us and I mean pray for us because we're going to need prayer. We need you to promise that you're going to remember us, that you're going to stand and do battle for us in the Spirit so that in the natural we can minister the Word of God. This man went to the mission field. As the years passed, his son became sick. His wife became sick. They both died. He became sick in elder age, and he came back to the church unannounced. He walked in on a Wednesday night. They were having a prayer meeting. He walked in right after they had started the prayer meeting on that Wednesday night. And he walked in and he sat in the back of the church and they were up there praying. And he heard him pray about all kinds of stuff. He heard him pray for all kinds of people. He heard him pray about this and pray about that. And God, we need this. And God, we need that. And after they finished, they looked back and they were amazed. First, they couldn't hardly really recognize him because of his condition. But they were amazed that he was standing back there. And they rushed to him and telling him how much they loved him and how glad they were and how they were with him and all that. And he looked at him and he said, you know what? He said, when my wife... And my child and I left this church. We felt called of God. And all we asked to do is that you would hold the rope, that you would pray for us. He said, I came in right after you started the prayer meeting. I've been here over an hour while you've prayed. You've prayed for everything else. But not once did you pray for us. I know why I failed now. I know why my wife's dead, my child's dead. I know why my health is the way it is. Because you didn't hold on to the rope. You didn't do what you told me you would do. You didn't pray for us. Church, I'm telling you. It's time for us to rise up. It is time for us to be those people that when we go into a city, they say, you know those people that turn the world upside down? They're in our city now. Look out. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you this. How many men and women of God are there today that when they come into a city, the city shakes? How many men and women of God are there today that when they come into an area, the, 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 the demons of darkness and all hell begins to shake because an anointed man or woman of God has come into an area to proclaim the truth of the Word of God? Imagine what would happen if we would rise up not only as leaders, but we would rise up as churches and say, we're going to be a church like Antioch that's a local church, but we're going to have global impact. We're going to turn our world upside down, which church, by the way, is right side up. For Jesus Christ. Amen.
It's time to rise up and advance the kingdom of God. Will you stand with me a moment, please? Father, I thank you right now. I just thank you right now for every person here, Lord. God, for your word, your word is true.